Are you good with people? Maybe you're organized or have a knack for numbers. Well, then chances are you've got skills that could lead to a new career. A Google Career Certificate can help you get a foot in the door with top employers in fast-growing fields like IT support, project management, data analytics, and user experience design. It's professional-level training developed and taught by Google employees. And it's all online so you can learn around your schedule. Put your skills to work. Go to grow.google certificates. Faster my crazy day, my packed commute, all those unread emails in my inbox. But I'm getting stronger, faster, and pushing myself further every day. I don't care if I'm not like everyone else. This punching bag is the best way to end my day. <laughs> Fearless is knowing yoga isn't your style. That's the power of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Federal Employee Program. Learn more about our healthy benefits at fepblue.org slash get more. So uh, we're super excited to have Mark Blumenthal join us again. You are, our, I think, our very first or second guest, and you are our first second time around person. So when there's like the Saturday Night Live sketch, awesome. when there is like the Five Timers <laughs> Club, you we, are our Tom Hanks <laughs> or Paul Simon, Justin Timberlake. Need a little prompt bell thing that can ring to go ding, ding, ding. Right, know, right, like, exactly. Great. Well, I'm honored. Get, I'm always. I'm. I'm. Uh, I'm uh, thrilled to be here and uh, really, uh, you know, congratulations on the continuing success of the podcast. It's, uh, it's an awesome uh, resource for everyone uh, who listens, whether they're pollsters or ordinary folks. Well, you brought polling to the medium of blogging and now That's we right. have taken polling to the medium of podcasting. Yes. So yes. Back and in the olden days. Of blogging. That's right. Before. I mean, and as a reminder to folks and our new listeners who don't remember us talking about this before, but both of us got our writing about polling start at Polster at Polster.com before it was at the Huffington Post and it was, you know, Mark and one or two other people, and then Kristen and I joined, and um, and so here we all are today. And in fact, your name, Mystery Polster, if you can find Mark online, was given to you by Mickey Kaus. Isn't yes. that correct? Who I just yes. did a panel with recently, and I was like, I feel like I'm meaning, I don't know, <laughs> it's just kind of a funny thing, like... I started writing for Mark, and Mark got his name for Mickey Cow, so I just felt like that could come full circle. And then here you are on the pollsters. And, and that begat the mystery pollster blog, which came before pollster, and now it's the it's it lives on as my Twitter handle. Wow. So here we are. Fun history lesson. Well, now we are in the process of making history because, of course, we have an election coming up in the next week. Uh, you are now at SurveyMonkey in the world of figuring out how do we study voter attitudes without having to call them on the phone. And you all have been producing a ton of data for NBC through your partnership there, doing a lot of statewide polls. You all did a study with the Washington Post a couple of weeks ago where sort of gave projections on a whole bunch of different individual states. Most recently, I have just found, I, I retweeted a map of y'all's that was a, uh, what would the election look like if only millennials voted? And that got more retweets than anything I've ever tweeted. So tell us a little bit, what are you up to? What can we expect to see from SurveyMonkey out of the next couple of days as we head to election day? And then what are you all looking at for beyond election day? Well, that's 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 a long list. But uh, for the next for the next uh, seven to ten days, I've I've lost count of how many are left eight. at this point. But if if eight. you want to know, right now, if you if crazy eight, eights. If you go, <laughs> I'm counting. 
you go to the Survey Monkey electoral map, which you can find at surveymonkey.com slash election slash map. I think I remembered that correctly. This right now. Or you can just Google Survey Monkey electoral map. Um, you will find what we're releasing on the And we'll a link to it in basis. the show, as always. Well, in we're, our show notes. We, we are, yes. And they will be in the show notes. We will, re- we are releasing on a daily basis an update of our results in all 50 states, which is a, essentially a continuation of the, of the study that the Washington Post did, except we've got, you know, a rolling seven day sample in all 50 states. Um, where, among other things, you can see how many days are left until the election. Um, you can use that map to see our results, to dig into them. You can play with the scenarios if you think we're being too cautious or wrong and make your own assumptions about what's happening in the election. Um, you can share it through all the usual social media uh, channels. That is our probably highest, prior, or, or highest profile project, along with the ongoing work with NBC News. Um, which will be out, by the way, sometime this evening, if you're listening to the podcast right when it comes out on, on Monday um, for the week. Um, I should step back and explain a little bit about just how we come to be able to do this. This is a fairly, uh, you know, we are taking on something that hasn't been done quite this way before, which is we are doing uh, fresh cross-sectional samples every week in all 50 states. We're not relying on a panel. Um, and we're doing all of them at once. And if you, you, uh, you know, hopefully within a day or two, you'll be able to dig in and see the sample sizes. The sample sizes are not trivial. Uh, this, I'm the, looking at registered voters nationwide, right. and this is just interviews conducted in the last six days. Seven, but okay. Oh, it says six right there. Up six, you're correct. I guess we shortened up the period a little well, bit. Well, but I, either way, I mean, gosh, six days, 47,000 voters. Correct. That's crazy. That's crazy. So, and that's why you're able to do these statewide. You can't so do that with the, your landline and your cell phone. I mean, you only you had like you a have billion dollars. A billion dollars. <laughs> so, so let me explain where this comes from briefly. I know that um, my boss John Cohn has been on the podcast before, and so some of your regular listeners may have heard this, but um, not everyone has. Oh, that's true. This is your first time being on the show since you moved, since to, Survey I moved to Survey Monkey. When we came on last time, you were at Huffington, Huffington Post Poster. Ah, okay, cool, cool. So in some ways, it's a little bit of serendipity that the people at SurveyMonkey who focused on research that preceded me and, frankly, that preceded John, realized that on the SurveyMonkey platform, there are now 3 million individuals a day, about two-thirds of that in the U.S., who come to the SurveyMonkey platform and complete some form of survey or form or uh, 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 poll for our various clients. Um, that could be anything from an employee survey, a survey done by a church or by your soccer team to figure out what snack to bring or market research for Procter & Gamble for all sorts of uh, companies in between. So there are 2 million individuals on this platform completing surveys. And there's an end page when you complete a survey. And we are able to, at that point, pick a random sample of our traffic um, and ask them to complete a survey about issues in their area. Um, and it clearly has an election theme because we display a map of the country colored red, blue, and purple. And from that, we've been able to interview 10,000, a minimum of 10,000 voters every week all year. And we've been ramping it up this year. So we're up to, you know, close to 50,000. And if you follow along this week, those sample sizes are going to get bitter. One of the things we've done is contracted the, 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 the uh, time period. So we were, I think, as big as eight days a few days ago. And we're now able to get down to a smaller number where, um, 
doing more interviews in the battleground states, dare I use the word oversampling, um, and then waiting that back to their appropriate. That, why, that sounds pretty rigged, Mark. And why are you rigging the polls? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we want to get a good, as good a look as we can at those battleground states that are that are relatively close. Um, and so that that's the the simple explanation of what we're doing here. Now, obviously, we don't just take that traffic and and tabulate it as it is. We have to do waiting to it. One of the benefits of the platform. Uh, that we discovered pretty early on is that the traffic we get is amazingly diverse. It's not, and no one is going to argue that it's strictly representative, certainly not unweighted, but in terms of uh, age, population density, even race, gender, um, we are not that far off of the national population. We do have to do some waiting on education, um, and and that is a surrogate for income, um, but we have very big samples, and we're applying a very sophisticated, rigorous waiting to this. So you don't uh, have, like, one African-American, Republican, 19-year-olds, like in the L.A. Times I love panel. that story so much. That Did is, we talk about it on the show? No, because it came out. It about? came out like right after we wrapped show. a couple weeks ago, and then it was like a week and a thousand things had happened, and then it, that seemed like old news. But it was really one of the most popular things. People should go look at it. It was at the Upshot. It was a really cool analysis. Yeah, long story the short, there's a, an, a poll being conducted by uh, University of Southern California and the LA Times. Theirs is online, right? And but it's a panel study, and they continue to go back to the same panelists repeatedly. And their panel is not necessarily representative of what the electorate looks like. So certain people that have characteristics that are less represented, uh, their response is weighted up higher. You know, if you are a 19-year-old African-American man, you're harder to get a hold of. So, you know, his response... And Republican. And and so his response counts for 30 times what someone else's interview might count for. So the fact that the one 19-year-old African-American in the survey is a Trump fan is the reason why when he is in or out of the sample, Trump goes up a whole point. Just because this one person is in or out of the sample. So this one, you're talking about these kinds of numbers and this rolling set of people who is always changing. You're not having that same kind of well you know, but you do have to make some decisions about what you think the electorate's going to look like yes. as opposed to letting it they sort of wash in and say okay well today it's republican or today it leans democratic you have to give it you know give it some shape right absolutely so so let me say two things about that without speaking ill of another pollster or, or getting into the things i used to do at, uh, <laughs> you should be so much more diplomatic um, me and margie we get to just like throw bombs from here in our well, podcast what, studio one thing i can reach back to from from my days of covering polling was that one of the things we learned from looking at the gallup polling from 2012 is that you know waiting has its challenges and one of the challenges is that um, the smaller the sample you're dealing with, the more difficult it is. You know, if the number of things you need to wait by is large and the sample is relatively small, things stop working for a variety of entirely technical reasons, some of which that upshot piece explored on that, that, that particular poll. One of the great benefits of the platform we're on is we have these enormous samples. So while, while the waiting may be uh, significant or even you know, extreme based on what I would have thought 20 years ago, because we have very, very large samples, we can do some very intense waiting. For those in your audience who know what this means, we're waiting on interactions. Um, I, won't, I won't do the whole explanation of that. Um, <laughs> but that means we're waiting on combinations of, of right. say, gender and age, of, of race, and ed, uh, you know, race and education, race and age, and so on, so that we get the interactions between demographics right now. Second thing you asked about was uh, 
assumptions about the likely voters. And that, you know, if, if you want to get at why polls are different right now and why some polls are showing a lot of variation, uh, it has to do with all the various mechanisms that pollsters use to determine the likely electorate. My experience was that there really are no two that do it exactly the same. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll talk about how we're doing it. If you go, um, I can give you for the show notes uh, uh, an article I helped write that was on the NBC News platform about how our likely voter model works. Um, And the simple story is that it doesn't screen very much compared to what other models do. We are relying far more on the weighting that we're doing and the demographic modeling and on the mechanism that we're using to select people. That is, people choose to opt into, you know, they choose this survey, I shouldn't say opt-in, presented with the chance to be part of this survey, Mm -hmm. they choose to participate um, because they think it's interesting and because it's about the election. And we have found evidence that the people who participate in the survey are more likely to vote already before we do anything to them. That's a valuable non-response bias. It's it's kind of a good thing. That's also true on the telephone. I mean, there's lots of evidence of that as well. But we, we see that. And so we're uh, we have worked very hard to use what the census's current population study tells us about people who are registered to vote and people who voted in 2012 uh, to create weighting targets for all of the states. And we're applying a very light screen um, that's screening out a little less than 10 percent of the people who qualify for the survey as registered voters because they say they're less likely to vote. Now, so what about people who've already voted? How do, do you ask people how they voted? Do you make sure you're talking to people who We're doing it in a fairly their... straightforward way, which is that when we ask people how likely to vote, we give them one of the options is to say that they've already voted. Mm-hmm. And so we're And then not... do you follow up and say who'd you vote for and include that in your total of where the race is? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So if you've already voted, we count you as a likely voter. Um, and then we can, you know, tabulate by that. Now, we are not getting into the weeds of, of you know, how you voted early and, and whether you're planning to vote early, which some right. other pollsters do. And it's largely for a space constraint. But um, that's how we're dealing with it. So the big news on everybody's mind today is what can the early data tell us about how the Comey letter so as we, ha- is affecting anything? Right. As, as we tape this... Uh, podcast. Uh, we're still a few hours away from my colleagues at NBC News sharing um, our results with the world. It will be out later Monday night, but I can characterize uh, there's just not a lot of change. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're just not seeing, and, and this has been true in our tracking really for the last six to eight weeks. Um, we are not seeing, you know, we, we see variation from week to week of a point or two on the margin, and it get, you know, it, it has got a little bit bigger after the tape Clinton's advantage got a little uh, margin got a little bit bigger after the tape story broke um, and a little narrower since. But we're talking about differences of a point or two. And at least over the weekend, we've not yet seen any any major change. Um, We did ask some questions about uh, what people thought about it. And there is more expressed concern. We had a question um, and I'm paraphrasing here whether this is uh, something, an issue that's worth discussing or or, uh, thinking about or whether it's more of a distraction. Mm -hmm. The identical question that we asked about the Trump tape incident after that happened a few weeks ago. And there's a bit more, you know, there are more Democrats willing to say this is an issue that's important than there were Republicans willing to say that about Trump and ditto with with independents. But I I think that gets at, uh, in part, that 
ethics and the whole email uh, story have been out there about Clinton all the way through. I mean, uh, this is this is more my opinion. I, I don't know that other people looking at the data are going to say this, but I think it's kind of baked in. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I guess that's right. I mean, well, first of all, reporters, I mean, the rest of us don't know what to make of this new announcement, right? So, of course, voters are like, well, this is kind of why why am I supposed to feel differently? Um, but Morning Consult Politico had a poll out today and they asked which you think is worse, Trump's aggressive comments toward women or this email, this email thing, right? Whatever <laughs> I think, it is. I think it was phrased slightly different than this email <laughs> thing, but something like that. And it was almost identical, like completely divided down the middle. It's, right. it, this so stuff is so seen through Trump, partisan think, lenses. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. right. Uh, and, and, you know, we, we the, the one thing I think is a little bit misunderstood by some, most voters have made up their mind about which side of the Trump versus Clinton battle they're on. That's typically true in a presidential election with a week to go. What's different this time is that there are there is a non-trivial number of or there you know there's a non-trivial number of voters who say uh, that they have an unfavorable impression of both. Mm-hmm. It is nowhere near a majority. It's it's in our data about twenty percent um, who tell us you know on a four point scale uh, favorable rating that they right. have an unfavorable impression. Now most of those people dislike one more than the other. Right. Right. So when you really get down to the core that really hate both of them exactly the same, it's a small number and a third to half of them are either, you know, they're either absolutely committed to voting for a third party or they're not voting. You know, I love how people look at those unfavorable numbers. They're like, everybody hates them both. I'm like, well, okay, there's six, let's say it's 55% unfavorable to Clinton and 55 to Trump, whatever it is. Those are not the same. 55% 55% for both, like, you know, there's a Venn diagram here, yes. people, and, right. and like, no, everyone's like, what are you talking about? No. <laughs> and I don't understand. It's just much easier to say everyone hates them both. If you step back a little bit and look more closely at those people who dislike both but dislike one more than the other, that's where there's a lot of indecision. Yeah. Um, and you see it, I mean, I'm not going to read numbers off that I jotted down, but it's about, you know, if, if you, a, another way of looking at it, if we take, we ask uh, two different vote questions. We ask a four-way vote, or in some places it's five, in some places it's three, um, a vote that includes the third-party candidates and a vote that's just Clinton and Trump, and we rotate those. Um, there's inconsistency a little bit between them. Um, but if I take somebody who's undecided on either one of those votes or uh, who says that they're, you know, we have a certainty question, who says that they're really 50-50 or less on who they're going to actually support, that gets you something like uh, 10, 15 percent, mm-hmm. close to 15 percent of our registered voter pool. Um, if I look at those people, it divides about a third, a third um, in terms of uh, about a third of those people are for a third party when on the four-way vote. Mm-hmm. Uh, about a third uh, say they're unlikely to vote. I mean, it does, this, I'm not, these aren't mutually exclusive. Um, and there are a little bit more than half of those undecided people who rate both candidates unfavorably. So there's this sort of mix of, am I going to vote for the lesser of the two evils of the two major candidates? Am I going to choose a third party candidate or am I not going to vote? And that I think is where most of the indecision that remains is. And it's sort of in these two parallel universes. Yeah, it's not as though somebody went from, oh, I was going to vote for Hillary Clinton, but now this whole Anthony Weiner thing happened, so I'm going to vote for Trump. It's, And that's why I think one of the things you've seen in the ABC Washington Post tracking poll is 
they've now had this like really huge drop in support for Hillary Clinton over the course of the last week. But they acknowledge that a lot of that is not people changing their minds. It's that very different people are making it through their likely voter screen Mm -hmm. based on enthusiasm and self-report to vote. If you're a Democrat and on Friday afternoon you get a call from ABC, Washington Post, saying, hey, are you planning to vote? And you're like, ugh more news about Hillary Clinton. I don't even know if I'm planning to vote. Well, click, you're out of the survey, you know? Right. And so these these things, that to me is the more interesting question is, did something like this potentially, de- you know, depress these supporters so that this early vote weekend that's supposed to be so big for Democrats, did people not turn out? I mean, that's the more interesting question than did 5% of people switch their minds from Clinton to Trump? And, you know, this is the the, the one difficulty that I, I'm sure your guests in the past have acknowledged, the, the, the thing that asking people questions doesn't do well, I mean, the, the weakness in political polling is that you, you can ask people what attitudes they have in their head right now. Who do you like? Who do you dislike? Who, who do you support or not support? But asking someone to predict their future behavior, particularly predict their vote, um, we don't do very well. Yeah. You know, we, we, we can get kind of close. Um, but we're the least uh, precise instrument out there for measuring what the turnout's going to be. So, yeah, I would be looking at. Yeah, thanks vote. for undercutting the entire <laughs> premise of. <laughs> show for the best. You know, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. We, you know, that's exactly. I mean, we had Scott Keeter on, who was at Pew. He's retired. He's like, you're asking polling to predict a universe that doesn't exist yet. People don't know. Yeah. Well, Whether or not they're going to vote in advance. At the same time, like if you go back and you look at the real clear politics average, yes, it's it has wobbled, but you can go back about a year from from today and see that it was like a five point race, you know, last November. That it's it's wobbled as the news cycle has changed and as people have become nominees and things like that. But I mean, it's just so funny that we have this candidate like Donald Trump who's so different from the norm, and yet we've fallen into this. Like, I'm looking at the electoral map, and it's largely this, like, totally predictable electoral map. Well, it does look a bit different. Well, it looks a little right? bit different in that, uh, I mean, I'm fascinated specifically by the SurveyMonkey map because it tells a slightly different story than what even other polls say. So you all, it was pretty big headlines when you showed Texas was, like, a one-point race. Right. Um, and, and still, I'm looking at the map now. Texas is pink. It's not red. Right. Um, you know, a state like Michigan, meanwhile, is gray on your map. Democrat by one in Michigan, which is the same as Georgia. Republicans by two in Georgia. I mean, so this is kind of a fun, like, it, in a way, Trump said he was going to change the map. According to this, it looks like there are some red states where he's much weaker, but then some blue states where he's much stronger, which seem to be kind of part of his pitch. It's playing out here a little bit. So little quick uh, uh, user's guide for a map. Um, one point to just get out of the way uh, up front is that there is noise. There is, there is you know, random oh, variation sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. from day to day. <laughs> and we've made an utterly arbitrary decision. Well, not utterly arbitrary. We've made a decision that we're going to call a toss-up any state where the margin is within three points. And that's partly because of the random variation we see. That is literally going day to day to day. If nothing, you know, in, over a period where our, our national numbers have been relatively tranquil, any one of these states might flip a uh, point or two on any candidate by chance alone, that can be two, three, four on the margin. And so some of these states are flipping in and out of colors um, from, you know, blue to gray, you know, from light blue to gray or from pink to gray or whatever, um, based on chance alone. That Some of that can happen. The bigger story, I think, is about where the map's different. 
um, versus 2012 is the larger story we can see in the national data when we cut it by education. Oh, yeah, that was actually my next question. Right. So uh, Hillary Clinton has made uh, very significant inroads among white college-educated voters. Oh, gosh, um, this map changes so much when you toggle this. Right. I'm looking at the map, the national map, and I'm toggling between no college and college, and it just goes from an entirely red map to an entirely blue. I mean, not the, entirely. The differences on education are stark. And so among white voters without a college degree, um, Trump is running as strong, maybe a little bit stronger, than Mitt Romney did. What that means when you put it all together is that in states, particularly in the in the upper Midwest, Ohio, Michigan, Wisconsin, um, where there are larger concentrations of non-college white voters and relatively smaller minority populations, particularly Hispanic, um, you're seeing uh, that Trump may well overperform versus where Romney was uh, in 2012. And in a bunch of states, uh, you know, more in the southwest and south and southeast, uh, there are places where that, you know, where Obama significantly underperformed with white voters, where there's some gain for Clinton and it's making some of them closer. Now, there are pieces of this, you know, we are relying on we're, we're waiting on education. That's something that a lot of pollsters don't do. And we're relying heavily on the CPS data for that. Little known story. I'm hoping to write some of this later this week. There are two sources of data about how well educated the voters are. One is the CPS surveys. One is the exit polls. They're very different. Mm -hmm. um, in those states in the Midwest, Michigan, Wisconsin, Ohio, the difference in the percentage of voters estimated to be college educated is it's about 10 to 10, 12 wow. percent in wow. some of those states. We're erring on the more less well educated side. That's why our numbers tend to look different than, than a lot of other pollsters. Mm. Look, we may be right about that. We may be wrong about that. The, the larger enterprise here is we're putting as much data out as we can. We're being as transparent about it as we can. If we're right, we're going to learn something amazing. If we're not right, you know, if we have a miscue, we're going to learn from something about that. and We're going to try to share it. Um, both with the general public and with the pollsters podcast. Oh, well, thanks. Well, if you're not right, there are going to be a lot of other pollsters also not, not right. <laughs> you will not be alone. Well, so tell everybody where they can find uh, find you, find uh, your data as we head toward Election Day. Um, you can find, again, the, the electoral map is surveymonkey.com slash election slash map. Um, we have a a blog um, that I will give you for the show notes because I'll get the URL wrong. Um, but it's the uh, Survey Monkey Electoral blog. You can Google on that as well. And you can find me at Mystery Pollster uh, on Twitter. Great. Well, thank you so much, Mark. Thanks thank for you. coming back. And hopefully uh, we'll have you back again after this all the dust settles and <laughs> we can go back to a more regular, casual pace. Oh, there's no such thing as that, <laughs> That's a fantasy. That's crazy talk. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you.